Hi, I'm Jeff Bennett, and welcome to another episode of DoD Secure, where we discuss government contracts, government jobs, how to protect classified information, and whatever else may come. so glad you're here. There are so many podcasts that you could join, and we are glad you're here with us today. Today's subject, we'll have about three subjects. One is going to be the myth of security clearances. There are many misconceptions of how to get a security clearance and what security clearances are, and so hopefully here we'll answer some of those myths. Um, we're also going to talk about the FSO's job. The FSO stands for Facility Security Officers, and we're going to give some hints on how to incorporate the FSO into your organization to be able to be more competitive on classified contracts. Uh, they're your ally. They're your biggest ally there. And we'll talk about the defensive security briefing. It's a minute part of a larger training program, but it's worth talking about today. So without further ado, again, welcome. And so let's talk about some myths or misconceptions about the security clearance process. You know, I feel like it's a good, timely thing to talk about because um, we've had some major incidents in the past few years about where classified information is spilled and everybody's wondering, well, how do people get security clearances in the first place? And it may cause many of you never to even apply for your security clearance or never even um, bid on a classified contract or never even um, apply for that classified job. Um, as we've mentioned before, there are two levels of security clearances. One is for the business, and that's called the facility security clearance. Um, there are many things that you may think that could prevent you um, from getting that classified contract. And, and these myths should not stop you. If you're interested and you think you have the talent for performing on classified uh, contracts, then go for it. Um, the other security clearance is the personnel security clearance. These are for job seekers. For those of you who just got out of college, transitioning from the military, or otherwise want a government job or a job with a clear defense contractor, to get a security clearance, you just need to apply for a job that requires one and be that right person. So let's talk about some myths and conceptions. One is like, I have a bad past. I did something in the past and they will never give me a security clearance. Well, the only never that there ever is, usually ever is, is the never of that follows by never trying to do something. And what I mean is if you're going to let a bad pass stop you because you cannot define your bad pass, that's up to an adjudicator. Um, what I mean by adjudicator, somebody that is going to look at you in your whole person concept and determine whether or not you can be trusted to protect classified information because something happened in the past, right? And unless it was very, very, very bad, and I don't even know what very, very, very bad means. It's up to you to decide, I guess. Suppose you've got a driving under the influence ticket or you're arrested for driving under the influence when you were 16 years old. Um, maybe that was 20 years ago. Since then, you've attended counseling 
And so many years have passed that this may not be a indicator of your inability to protect classified information. In other words, this is over and done with. It's not lasting anymore. So we cannot use, let our past define us who we are now, unless we've never changed. If you're continuing to get DUIs, yes, by all means, don't apply for that classified job because you may not get it. Um, because you are continuing this behavior and you continue to be arrested. So otherwise, um, we'll not uh, be able to get that clearance. I have seen people with drug and alcohol convictions get security clearances because they have overcome these events and they have proven that they have overcome these events by um, counseling, by getting letters of recommendation, and by some great things that they have documented and that have occurred in their lives to show the adjudicator that they are no longer security risk. Okay, what's another reason why somebody might not go for a security clearance? Another myth is everybody will see my business. Everybody will know what happened. Um, that this is not true. The only way people will see your business other than those authorized to the adjudicator, the investigator, and the facility security officer helping you fill out your form. Those are the only people authorized. Um, now what happens is you will be required to fill out a standard form 86 where you get your chance to talk about your past, your arrest records, your medical records, your counseling, anything that could have happened that, that you would want to put on your security clearance application. Yes, you would want to put it on there because if an investigator finds out something you did not put, you'll have a tough time explaining why you didn't put that uh, security clearance and that information in your security clearance application already off the bat, you're not trustworthy. So you want to fill out this SF-86, which is an application for national security um, position. Uh, you will want to fill this out when the time comes. And I recommend downloading it on, uh, off the internet and filling it out by hand and then bring it in when you actually fill it out online uh, when the official date comes. But you want to be thorough and complete. And the only people that are going to see that are the people who um, collect this information and submit it online, um, the investigators and the administrative personnel, as well as adjudicators. So, no, nobody will know that. And if anybody does read the information, they will not know that it is from you, except for, again, those people that I just mentioned. Um, security clearance costs a lot of money. Well, what if I told you? you do not have to pay for your security clearance. Clear defense contractors or defense contractors, if you want a security clearance, you businesses out there, you do not have to pay for those either. It is burdened by the taxpayer, all right? It's already a sunken cost. It costs you personally or your business no money to get a security clearance. So let's state that up front. It takes years to get a security clearance. I don't have time to wait. Uh, this is not true. Uh, you can get a security clearance in under a year. And many times you can get an interim clearance within a couple of days or maybe up to a month. Um, usually what happens is if you don't have a clearance, you might find a jobs announcement or job search in um, uh, clearancejobs.com or clearjobs.net. There are many different places. USA Jobs. Uh, you may find an announcement for a um, security clearance job. You do not have to have a clearance to apply for the job. Clearances are preferred in many times, but if you have a, a, a skill set, you're the best at it, go ahead and apply for it. 
The only thing keeping you from a clearance at that point is you being able to land that job. If you can land that job, the company will take the risk and put you in that in a position at the company. It's not the classified position. It is another position that will give you work to do until your clearance comes through. Um, and this is done all the time. So do not let the time it takes because while you're waiting for your clearance, you're still drawing a paycheck. So, so that is a myth. Do not let that stop you from getting a clearance. Uh, what's another myth? I'm reading off my notes. Um, security clearances are too competitive. I'll never get one. Well, this isn't true either because there are lots of security clearance jobs opening up. There are more jobs than there are people to fill them. And all you need to do is, again, is prove beyond a shadow of doubt that you are the right person for that job. What's another myth? Um, I have to have a security clearance before I can bid on a classified contract or apply for a job. Yeah, I already just said that. We talked about that a little bit, but no, you do not have to have a clearance to bid on a job or apply for a job. You have to have a clearance before you can start that work. So don't put the cart before the horse. Get that job, get that contract, then worry about the clearance later. If you'd like more information about how to get a security clearance, get my book. Uh, it's called Insider's Guide to Security Clearances, and it's available at redbikepublishing.com. It's part of the Security Clearance and Clear Defense Contractor book series available on amazon.com as well. So I would like to speak with you now and recognize a friend of Red Bike Publishing and of this podcast called Mission Driven Research or MDR. Mission Driven Concept defines the value system and the culture at MDR. In all activities, Mission Driven Research employees maintain a focus on the big picture perspective. Um, MDR is a growing company providing technical services to the United States federal government. The goal of MDR is to continuously improve performance in their core values. The mission focus is the core of MDR and fosters a highly satisfying work environment, motivating employees to excellence. Thank you, uh, MDR, for sponsoring our podcast. Let's talk about the facility security officer. The facility security officer is going to make or break your company's ability to protect classified information. And that means it's going to make or break your company's ability to actually bid on classified contracts. If you lose your security clearance as a um, facility or a person, um, you're, you're not going to be able to work on classified contracts and it will cost you a lot of money. So your facility security officer is tied to that capability. Um, the facility security officer doesn't have to be a standalone um, designated person. It can be a person that takes on the FSO as an additional function as well. All right. So the facility security officer, and we'll just call them an FSO, their successful program depends on developing relationships with employees, managers, everybody within the company. And they have they are going to be um, supporting something called the NISP POM. Uh, the NISP is a National Industrial Security Program, and it is what the government expects contractors out of contractors who perform on classified contracts. It's called the National Industrial Security Program. The NISP POM is that 
National Industrial Security Program's operating manual. And it is a guideline for establishing that security program to protect classified information. An FSO cannot be stovepipe position. The FSO should be integrated throughout all other business disciplines within the company. The contracts managers, the um, engineers, the people performing on the classified work, everybody, because the FSO is responsible for safeguarding that classified information and making it accessible to the people who will be working on it. So you got the group working on it and you've got the FSO that is protecting it with the cooperation of the group working on it. But the FSO should be also be involved with human resources, ethics, um, legal contracts, so that um, the FSO can rely on company policy to enforce the security policy. For example, what happens when somebody commits a security violation? What can the FSO recommend as a um, as a measure to prevent security um, infractions from reoccurring? Is there an employee discipline thing that they can implement? They wouldn't be able to do that without the advice of the legal or the human resources managers. Uh, and what about if the FSO wants to set in place a, an ability to um, search personal items or search employees as they're leaving to make sure they're not stealing classified information on the way out, as we've seen many people do in the past. So this is going to be a group effort. If the security, uh, if the FSO writes security policy that only stays in the security office, nobody else will know about it, and they won't know how to protect the classified information or won't be able to support the FSO, and in turn, the FSO will not be able to support the company's ability to get those classified contracts. Um, one of the most important traits an FSO should possess, aside from technical competence, is the ability to gain executive and management buy-in. Uh, this buy-in is very critical. Uh, the FSO should be relied on for more than just, hey, go give me my classified um, information or take care of the security clearances. The FSO should be brought in as part of the business development and the contracts management and other unique areas of a company. They should not just be the enforcement and discipline. They should also be part of the growth of the company. Because what happens when you win a major contract? Perhaps you, you win a, a major contract that itself brings in uh, where the customer provides hundreds, if not thousands of classified documents to, to perform classified work on or brings in um, large items that are classified that must be protected. Um, even though security clearances are free and the contractor does not have to pay for classified contracts, the contractor is going to have the burden of protecting that classified information according to NISPOM. So it could be building large secure areas to store tools and equipment in or getting additional rooms or security containers that you guys might call them safes at a large cost, as well as administrative functions necessary to protect that classified information, put labels on, do shipping, whatever it takes. So in that case, the FSO is your friend. Um, uh, the FSO should be uh, able to, for example, one major cause of security violations is the introduction or removal of classified material into or from the company without proper accountability. Um, 
you know, this is in contradiction to DOD regulations requiring that classified information be logged into the company and should be in accountability of some sort and stored properly, according to NISPOM. Um, the DEFSA can train and write NISPOM-based policy and training, but without the enterprise's full cooperation, they'll find it difficult to, to enforce. I just read that, and it's probably pretty obvious I read it. Um, well, the well-integrated FSO would have the support from other members of the company, and everybody will understand um, the FSO's policies, as well as the FSO will understand the ethics policies, the HR policies, and et cetera. Um, coordination, close coordination between the FSO as part of maybe a CEO's um, council or part of the CEO staff meeting, business development meetings, et cetera, will save the clear defense contractor a large headache. We'll also save um, having somebody some FSOs provide consulting. Um, I do consulting as well. Um, if you are a defense contractor seeking a security clearance, you might want to bring a consultant FSO to help you prepare your facility um, and prepare your company to receive classified information and protect it. So that's the benefit of an FSO. That's a benefit of a well-integrated FSO. And I hope that you find this helpful in your future business endeavors. Red Bike Publishing would also like to thank Ronald C. Sixtus, attorney at law, for sponsoring our podcast, DOD Secure. You can call Ron at 256-713-0221 or get him on his website at www.securityclearancedefenselawyer.com. You know, sometimes it happens, in spite of living a life above reproach, you've had an event that could put your security clearance in jeopardy. Before you discuss it with anyone at work or your FSO, contact Ron immediately for help to self-report in the best possible way. Again, you can call Ron at 256-713-0221 or visit securityclearancedefenselawyer.com. So let's transition. Um, I'm going to talk about another subject, which is the defense of security briefings. Now, bringing back the FSO, the FSO is responsible for implementing the security program. Part of the security program are required briefings. Some of these required briefings are the um, non-disclosure agreement briefing that every newly cleared employee gets. The defense of security briefing is part of that. Um, the initial security awareness training is required for all new employees, um, regardless of whether or not they came in already possessing a security clearance. And the defensive security briefing is part of that as well. Um, derivative classifier training is a requirement of, of clear defense contractors. That's a, every two years. And defensive security briefing is part of that as well. And also the insider threat program requires insider threat training of which again, the defensive security briefing is part of it. So in the past, defensive security briefings have been applied to foreign travel, but it's also applicable to um, helping your cleared employees understand when they are being groomed <laughs> to, be, uh, or re to be recruited to become an insider threat um, 
what I mean by groomed is an outsider. It could be a foreign agent or a competitive company, for example, might be trying to contact your authorized cleared employees to perform nefarious and um, espionage type of work for them. So prior, so this kind of training can help your cleared employees become aware of these recruitment methods. Um, the cleared employees should have a good understanding of their responsibilities to protect national security. Um, you know, this training is embedded in security awareness training. Uh, defensive security training should be standalone. And for those who travel overseas or maybe those special circumstances, if the threat is high where you are of being um, victims of espionage, for example, um, the training should be constructed to make the cleared employee aware of their responsibilities to protect other employees, their products, their um, customers or those which they do business with. Topics of defensive security briefings should include threat recognition, how to assess and how to respond when approached for recruitment. So the cleared, you know, if there is an instance where a cleared employee might want to, um, might be uh, recognized nefarious actors trying to get to them, they'll learn it from the defensive security briefing. And defensive security briefing should also cover required um, reporting that could come as a result of being recruited or attempted recruitment. Um, so let's talk about travel then. So the, the clear employee shouldn't understand how to behave themselves while traveling, where they can find help if they need it, and how to conduct themselves in such a way to protect our national security. They should notify, first of all, the triggering mechanism is a cleared employee is going on a business trip or maybe even a personal trip overseas. Foreign travel is reportable in and of itself. When a cleared employee travels overseas, they should notify their facility security officer. This includes Mexico, Canada, the Caribbean countries. Um, the security department can then construct a plan um, to train the employee about the area, see if there's any OPSEC or security issues that the employee should know about. Um, they should, they, they might be able to inform the employees of where to go in case, you know, there's danger. Um, the State Department is a good website that the employee can go to that the FSO may have, may provide that employee with the State Department's website. Traveling employees and anybody who is traveling overseas should familiarize themselves with the site and use it to become an informed international travel. And that's at state.gov, www.state.gov. Now, there's some risk to um, travel with a work computer. Technical data can be transferred, for example, by reading notes, um, print, peering over your computer screen, conducting seminars, and et cetera. So if you have an employee that is traveling overseas to conduct a seminar or to attend a symposium or briefings prior to going, if they are presenting or being approved for releasing technical data, they should have uh, an agreement or an, uh, a license to do so. If they do not have a license or agreement to do so, they should not be in possession of this technical data while they are overseas, because that could um, be a deemed export and this export would not be legal and the company could get in a lot of trouble. 
a lot of times custom agents have been looking at computers and the information inside. And so if an employee goes overseas with a company computer with technical data inside that is not part of a license or agreement, they have just committed an export, whether anything happened or not, because you must assume that your computer is being accessed by nefarious actors. And so you have to be really careful about this. I'm not saying it's always happening, but if you're traveling overseas or employees traveling overseas with a license and um, they're going to be presenting a briefing or they're going to be going over to conduct business, only that information that is allowed to be discussed should be on that computer. Everything else should be wiped. So it may behoove a company with travelers to wipe the computer every time a trip is over and provide an employee a presentation computer so they're not bringing their own hard drives or their own laptops that may have sensitive information in it. And you know, it doesn't always have to be ITAR sensitive. It could be competition sensitive. Um, so it's just a good practice not to bring more than you actually need. Um, um, you might want to consider briefing physical safety and security. Um, employees should not travel alone in many situations, depending on the risk. So the FSO is good at doing risk management. So they should continue risk management, not only for the protection of classified information, but the protection of sensitive information, personal information, PII, um, and the employees and their family members themselves. So the FSO can help with that risk assessment to help the uh, traveler be able to recognize any threats and mitigate those threats and find a safe place. Um, some threats an employee could face while abroad includes um, economic threat, threat of technology, threat of being approached by intelligence um, agents. Um, the agents may offer formulas, or maybe after formulas, financial gain, they may target classified or company sensitive information to gain a competitive edge. It costs millions of dollars in damage to the United States if they were able to get this. Um, so these are just some areas that you might include in a defensive briefing. Um, if you want more information about um, required security briefings, just go over to redbikepublishing.com and go to the um, training we, we have lots of training there on our main page. So redbikepublishing.com's main page, you can go to training. We have specific NISPOM training at bennettinstitute.com. So thanks again for um, hearing our podcast. And um, if you have any questions or ever have want some more information about our podcast or have recommendations, um, please contact us at editor at redbikepublishing.com. You can also um, subscribe to our newsletter. Just send me a note at editor at redbikepublishing.com or go to redbikepublishing.com and we have subscription boxes there. You can become one of our, join our reading list. And we come out with great articles often and we discuss them on our podcast. And uh, we also send out information with links to our books. Um, really excited to announce our upcoming book, uh, it is actually out for pre-sale on Amazon.com, uh, believe it or not. This book is called How to Get U.S. Government Contracts and Classified Work. It's a contractor's guide to bidding on classified work and building a compliant security program. This, this book is, goes beyond security clearances. It goes more into um, how to establish your business and 
be better prepared to bid on classified contracts. Has um, already become number one in air and space law and a few other categories, including public law, law and ethics, and professional responsibility and more. So the, if you're interested in learning how to be a defense, clear defense contractor and bid and perform on classified work, this is a good book to get. And again, it's it's available on redbikepublishing.com or how to get U.S. government contracts and classified work on Amazon. Um, again, thank you for coming. I know there's other podcasts you can listen to. Um, we're glad you're here.